play a song from the last album this is called Mousetrap and it's a song about board games Podcast and with me today are Jack James. Hello. And uh, Chris is with us again. Hello. Um, and we've just heard Jack play three tracks for us in the in the studio next door studio. Um, which were Mousetrap. Uh yeah, and three names and Live This Down. And the first two are from the album Is That the Rain On? Is that it? Yeah, which just came out in February. And Is That the Rain On is Terrific album. Um, I was just playing it again this morning. Um, so, so many different. You now we heard you playing acoustic guitar. That was it. But there's also um, piano. There is banjo on it. Um, are you playing mm. all of these? Yeah, that's that's all me. The only thing that's not me on the album is uh, percussion, which is my friend Gavin Crawford. But yeah, um, 
It's uh, the, the, the the there's tracks on it. Um, I'll tell you. I suppose what some of my favourite tracks on it: Glasgow Swagger, Mousetrap, which you played, and a, a song called you know, is it either Live Me or is it Live Me? I pronounce it Live Me. Live Me. <laughs> I couldn't quite work it out. And what does this? Uh, that was a sort of word I made up. I was trying to. I thought you might have because I googled it for an inch of its life. Could not come up with it. I'm trying to remember what they said. Do you mean lithium? And I went, not not this time. Yeah, I guess it's sort of. I wanted. It was a theme. Yeah. So I was trying to just come up with a word, and that that was one of the hardest things in this album was naming instrumental tracks. I've not really had any experience mm. with that. Usually, if it's a song, you can just pick a lyric, or sure. it's kind of obvious what the title is. But for the um, for the banjo tracks, I was just trying to hear what sort of sound. So Glasgow Swagger, that almost sounded a bit like a Glasgow Swagger to me. Mm-hmm. But Lithium was sounded a bit sort of um, you know, like sort of spry and it can jump around nimble and stuff like that. Okay. So I think I found a word. Is it lithe or something? Yeah. Something. There's a root word there. If it's not lithe, and it sort yes. of means like that. Yeah, exactly. So yes. I was like, oh, so someone's lithe moves in a certain way, and yeah. Sure. So that was that was the lithe theme. So lithing. There you go. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, the uh, acoustic tracks, and I think the, the it's something I think people often don't make enough use of to break up. You know, the, the we've talked about this before, but the way that albums come out now. Often many more, lots of tracks. It's a lot to listen to, and actually a clever way of of keeping interested in an album is to have some acoustic stuff in there and different sounds as well. And I think, um, first time I heard the album, and I, I said to you, it reminded me of kind of Iron and Wine and Bonnie Prince Billy. But in subsequent listenings, there's all sorts of different influences and sounds. I actually thought at one point it reminded me of Craig Armstrong, the more kind of, um, not acoustic, but a uh, and the, the tracks he, he did not particularly for movies but on his own albums you know the, which were which are um, between the songs you know that, that work uh, kind of link they kind of link the the uh, songs with lyrics in them if you know what mm. I mean I don't so how did you come to first of all what are your influences in terms of you know the music that you make uh, well um, Damien Gerardo mm-hmm. has a massive influence um I, I try to listen to quite a lot, like I just list off a bunch of people like Elliot Smith and Bob Dylan and Neil Young, uh, Sharon Van Etten. Um, yeah, so they, they obviously influenced my songwriting a lot, but just going on what you're talking about, trying to like intersperse instrumentals with more standard songs, that mm-hmm. that, that is kind of interesting. And if you're going to make a piece that's 40 minutes long, or I think uh, the album before was an hour long, it's kind of nice to break up with that um, and it's fun writing that sort of material that you wouldn't necessarily play live and that's, yeah. that's a nice little box for you to put it in um, but it was interesting because the, the album was almost going to be entirely banjo tracks <laughs> just because wow. yeah because I wrote I wrote Leaving Town and then just didn't write a lot of standard songs Leaving Town was your previous yeah album. that was the third album um, and then I just picked up the banjo and just was writing lots of melodies all the time um, and wasn't sure where it was going uh, and I had about 12 of them I think and it, yeah, that was almost going to be a full banjo instrumental album but I decided against that 
I have to say, if anyone has a fear of the banjo, this is this is real kind of dirty bluesy banjo that's being played, isn't it? It's, uh, there is that. Yeah. And, um, it's quite. It's used quite sparingly, you know. I think that, that mm-hmm. in the tracks, um, as the album as a whole, it seems. It's what struck me almost straight away is that this. You know, you'd thought about the structure of it. Um, it's called. Is that the rain on? The first track is. Um, hours away from the rain and then it finishes with seconds away from the rain yeah. and you know it visits different places in between but was that something that you'd set out to do that you wanted to give it a, a kind of almost formal structure I always try and structure it but that that sort of rain and all the titles and stuff weren't necessarily uh, part of the plans initially but as I was saying I was, I was writing those banjo instrumentals and then trying to name them Right, uh, and I'd, I'd wrote hours away from rain. I was like, this this one sort of sounds like rain. Uh, the seconds away from rain, the closing track, just because of the way it builds up, it's almost like raindrops and suddenly come like a storm or something. So, um, so that sort of tied okay. it together quite nicely. And I know I probably don't have to ask this about someone who lives in Glasgow, but what is it? What what was the rain theme? Where was that just? Living in this city, just looking out the window, struggling for It's it is well known. I would often rain turns up in albums and songs about Glasgow. Mm. Uh, yeah, the you, you you played the song Mousetrap. I think it's a it's a wonderful kind of evocation of uh, childhood, um, and also Mousetrap being one of my favourite childhood games. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic game. It's a great old game. Um, is that what the song sets out to do? Kind of look look back at uh, memories of childhood through, because it's a difficult thing to get right. I think when people nostalgia is a difficult thing to get right. Um, when we were talking earlier about looking at music through your parents' record collections and the songs you remember from when you were a kid, but there's something about playing board games that it's quite complex. Because I think you maybe I'm looking into this too deeply, but. You learn a lot about other people from playing board games, like who will, who will cheat, who will you know turn the beat. Yeah. and it's it's quite formative thing to have done, I think. Mm. Well, um, maybe that that's, that's in, no, that that's interesting. But like a lot of the times, I'll I'll just write it, record it, and then just not think about it. Mm-hmm. And it'll take a while uh, to realize. Oh, like I'll be listening to it two years later. Oh, that's what it's about. I guess board games. Is sort of based on childhood, but I hadn't really thought of that before. Okay. It was more just, I really like songs where you can write about some concept, so you're not just explicitly saying, oh, I'm in a relationship and here's the things that are going wrong, but you use another device in order to explain that. So this mm-hmm. was just like, okay, what if it's... Yeah, so I guess that is getting onto what you're talking about. Uh, you can see people's personalities by the way they're playing yeah. games. So it was, it was really, it was really just to use that, talk about things about board games and Mousetrap, which is a great game, and <laughs> trying to, uh, trying to write a song about that that's about something else. Yeah, no, just what struck me listening to it was I can remember, my family, you know, what everyone wanted when they were playing Monopoly, and like they had to kind of fight over, you know, I know I went with the dog this time and top hat and all of these things, and I just think, one, it seems like one of the few things. Yeah, I'll just see one of the few things we did as a family. We had lots of things as a family, mum and dad, have you But, um, you know, that you can remember these things, early memories of it. And I think you're right. It, it, that's interesting that, you know, you write songs and then 
perhaps in subsequent listenings you can read different things into it. Because I think that's what our, our listenership does. You know, they often, you know, pick up things that maybe the songwriter themselves. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's very rare that I'll sit down and say, oh, I'm going to write this. I'm going to write a song about board games where it's actually going to be about a relationship or whatever. I very rarely do that. And it was just as I'd sort of started writing some lyrics about board games that I realised, oh, this is, this is what's happening. Uh, but I, I tend not to write too consciously like that. Um, this is so. This is your fourth album. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that there's a progression through the albums, or does it not work like that? Do you think every one of them is just kind of separate uh, thing that stands on its own? They're separate works. The last three or the last two are, are definitely stylistically very similar. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not really sure. Um, they they do sort of stand on their own and I just try to keep producing each year a new work right. and force myself to do that and that will hopefully just make my songwriting better, make my playing better, recording better and just try. So I'm trying to progress that way in terms of That's interesting. good. The more people that I think that we talked about, whether they're writers or musicians or, or whatever, um, it's this idea that you really have to work on it to become better. And I think yeah. a lot of people that don't do that maybe don't realise they think you know oh yeah I you know I, the muse hit me and I'm and instead of saying yeah. no I have to actually for God rest his soul Ian Banks you know almost said he, he wrote for a certain amounts of period a, a year and he would do it every year and that would be it and and you know uh, in a way because that was something he could control but also because you you know it's like an exercise. You have to kind of keep doing it to remember how to... Yeah, and even if you have been doing it a long time, like say you've been doing it for maybe three years and you're doing that at a consistent level and you're putting lots of hours into that, even then you're not going to be a great songwriter after three years. You mm. have to try and keep improving and keep putting your time in. Um, so you see it as kind of building a body of work or again, do you, know, you just think, well, I have to, I'm doing the next one. And... Pro- probably just trying to motivate myself to keep on having a creative outlet and it's it's difficult when uh, we were talking about the podcast earlier it's difficult to try and keep on top of it when you've got no deadlines you're in charge yeah. you're uh, in charge of writing it and putting it out there and recording it so yeah so if you don't do it no one else is going to make you no, no one there's no deadlines um, so it's it's to basically just try and keep doing that and if I force myself to do the hours every year and produce something that hopefully I'll be getting better. Yeah, it's difficult. You know, we were talking earlier on about Springsteen. Chris was at um, the gig recently, and how long did he play for? Three and a half hours. Three and a half hours, and everyone, Jesus. every minute, fantastic. Everyone a winner. But yeah. what I'm saying is, here's someone who has like this amazing body of work and barely a duff track in the whole thing. Mm. And again, Springsteen strikes me. I mean, okay, it's a bit of a stereotype, but this is a working man. Mm. He, 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 you know, really works at his songs and. Um, yeah, I think that kind of dedication to do that and even dedication to do three and a half hours live yeah, is... I, I just saw Neil Young a couple of weeks ago in Glasgow and he did the same thing. And he did this. He did that again when he was in Edinburgh uh, about three or four years ago. And he just plays a three and a half hour set and I have no idea how he did it. Um, yeah. When I was in Edinburgh, it was a seating gig and I was exhausted <laughs> after three and a half hours. I said, like, I just want to go home and he's... He's done an hour and a half acoustic set, and he's came on with the rock band, and he's uh, just 
flying around the stage. I don't know how he gets the energy to do that. Uh, I, I mean, you, you, you see, you haven't been playing a lot live recently, but um, mm. is that going to change? You're going to, if you get the chance. Yeah, if, if I get a chance again, that's something else that I have to motivate myself to do. No one's going to book me into gigs necessarily, so I have to try and uh, be my own booker and promoter. Yeah. Almost. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm playing a gig on the twelfth of July, Roxy One Seventy One. After that, I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm always trying to get on uh, support slots for sort of other bands and try and steal their audience. <laughs> um, well, I think we all, we've heard how difficult that can be. Um, yeah. The nods from behind the mic there. Uh, I, yeah, I suppose there's so many people and well, there seems to be more venues now than before, perhaps small venues, but there's so many people trying to get, get slots on them. There's, there's more venues. Um, I'm not sure. Like a lot, a lot of times... You can certainly go up and get on stage places, and that's something you should do and become a better performer and things. But, but in terms of getting an audience that will listen, especially as you're playing sort of quieter music that requires yeah. more silence, um, it's a tough. It's it's more tough to get crowds like that, and I've had better luck jumping on the bandwagon of someone else's crowd <laughs> that maybe gets folk music a bit more. It's interesting me, um, Ian and I were at the um, gig with uh, Joe Mango and the uh, Boyle Still the Sun and um, Beer Jacket and all, all of the bands really, you know, as you said, kind of quiet, with Joe particularly quiet. Yeah. And that was a Monday night audience and even then, when most of the people were there to see the people that were on stage, just get people to shut up. Oh, were they not quite? Well, they were. That would seem like the audience would would get be, it. Yeah, but the, the problem is the majority were quiet, but then when you get people who aren't, people who have maybe just turned up, yeah. or there must be a band on on a Monday night, and then um, it, it stands out. In fact, at one point, there was a couple of guys at the bar when everyone else was in touch watching the stage, and my God, they were louder than the stuff that was going on yeah. on the stage. And anyway, that's... Yeah, that pisses me off. We're talking about the C Award... Uh, the first band that were on were the winners of last year, Aidan Moff and Bill yeah. Wells. The crowd wouldn't show up. Oh, and that's, that's, that's a room full of people that are supposed to be a Scottish music industry and they, they don't even want to listen to yeah. their last well, year's lack band. of respect in many venues and it's something, you know, um, who is it grinds his gears? What's that from? <laughs> that really grinds my gears. Peter Griffin yeah. family. Um, Orin Moore can be terrible for it. You know, a support band can just be barely heard because people are just yakking at the bar and I just anyway if you don't want to do that don't go later mm. turn up later that's the thing and um, we'll talk about the essay uh, the album of the year awards um, a wee bit later but again going back to when I when you first um, got a hold of your album and the way that you seem to everything about it to me had been thought out and that goes for the covers as well and your single covers mm. now Maybe you should explain what the, what the covers are like. The last three are kind of medical illustrations from the 1800s, I think, or mm. maybe a bit earlier. The fantastic know. mustachioed man with part of his head peeled away so you can see his... They're just beautiful drawings. They are so. fantastic. As much as the medical stuff at that time was incredibly intricate. Yeah. That, that was actually one of the names of the banjo track. Or no, that was the piano track. Uh this guy called Harvey Cushing, which was like a leading neuroscientist, I think. Okay, well, I did Google that to check. So yeah. that's it. And then I, went, I made the link. So he, he drew the album cover. Yeah. Mm. And they're fantastic covers, really arresting um, covers. I, 
you can't, you know, nowadays you've got so many, you know, if it's an album or a shop or whatever to go through, but when you see that, it kind of brings you up short and you go, yeah, oh, that's interesting. That. The other good thing about it is just that they're out of print. Uh, <laughs> so it's just an easy way. Yeah. You don't need to commission the artist or anything, you just get some of this stuff. Yeah, I got, someone recently got in touch with me um, who said she knew Sophie Mackay Knight, who, for anyone who has visited the blog, is painted the picture of Maya too, which is the headline thing. And she said, oh, I must let her know. And my fear was that she's going to go, how dare you use my picture without my... But she, luckily, and God bless you, Sophie, she has been very kind about it. And uh, yeah, it was great to get in touch with her. But yeah, there is that fear if you use it. Uh, she's not sending an invoice for anything. No, no, not so far. And maybe we shouldn't mention that anymore in case she... she <laughs> <decides can't> to... <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, so what's next for you in terms of uh, album? You're going to push this one for a bit longer? Are you already thinking about what you're doing next? Are you? Yeah, def- definitely already thinking. I've already recorded most of uh, the next album um, in May and June there. So the only bits that are left are to add drums and maybe try and get a, someone else to collaborate on it um, but yeah that's that's all done this time so excellent well we're going to let you hear another track of Jack's and then when we come back um, we're going to make Chris Ernie's keep as well and talk about the uh, Scottish Album of the Year Awards and the whole idea of uh, rewarding music or anything in this way so we'll see you in a few minutes cheers Let's go three names. Tell 
Scotswahi podcast after a musical interlude and we're going to chat with Chris and Jack about well about the Scottish album of the year uh, but the whole idea of having awards for music and I suppose for, for any other kind of art um, and what do you think about them? I definitely think it's a good thing uh, to be focusing on albums and people probably aren't getting as much recognition as just whoever happens to be playing Teen the Park that year or or whatever, um, and it, it's good to focus that, and it's the more artistic side of producing a full work, mm-hmm. and looking at looking at trying to do that the best. So it's good to sort of have a bit of healthy competition around that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think what the the, the shortlist and the long list show was the kind of wealth and breadth of uh, talent and and fantastic music was made in the last twelve months. But Chris, what what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I think it is, it is a great way of kind of getting wider public attention to, to as Jack was saying, acts that maybe go under the radar a lot of times. I know there were a few people complaining uh, when the shortlist was announced that neither Calvin Harris nor Emily Sandy had made it from the long list to the shortlist, but honestly, I mean, give us a fucking break. I mean, like, they've, they've won, like... Emily Sandy won what three Brit Awards? Uh, or three she was everywhere. Awards. She was everywhere. She doesn't need the exposure. Calvin Harris is collaborating with Rihanna. These he's topping charts. He's like they don't need attention. Oh. You know they they don't. I mean, regardless of whether you think they actually were the best album of last year, that's neither here nor there. You know, it's like they don't need. Well, you know, it, this award doesn't need them to legitimize it, and they don't need legitimized the, like, by the, the twenty grand or whatever that this award would have would have given them. You yeah, because that's a large part of it is the funding, and just as you're saying, it, it helps the more sort of um, not grassroots, but the lesser known people who that level of funding would really make a difference to their work. I, I that was an interesting. I know it would actually it wasn't an interesting uh, conversation, but it was maybe an inevitable conversation. What struck me was that there is a public vote, doesn't it? I mean, a Twilight Sad won it. Yeah. So if either of those people really wanted to, or the the people who represent them really wanted them to win, all they would have to do is you know put one tweet out saying vote for, and they would have won it. There's no doubt about it. They didn't even. Alex Andy probably didn't even know. Maybe she did know what was happening, but um, whether she could. Echoes of Bell and Sebastian beating steps at the Brit Awards. That's that's a good point. But you make another good point. It's not really about who wins it, is it? It's about one getting. The public to know that there's this huge, I mean we could all be well in fact here's a test out of that list including the long list what was your favourite album of, uh, of the year um yeah meow yeah meow I really like Lau's album that's uh, like just as you're saying this gets um gets the names out there so that that was an album that or a band I wouldn't have heard of I'm exactly the same I didn't know them at all that's a fantastic album um I suppose I would obviously say Paul Buchanan, but actually the Pause album, Coke Float, again, is a fantastic record. Um, both of ours didn't make the shortlist, uh, but I've heard most of the, the stuff that's on the list, and it is, it's varied, no matter what people say. And the, the fact that even if people were brought in by saying, oh, there's a list that Emily Sandy's on, and then they maybe go away and they, they discover something about Kareem Paul or or... 
or you know Aaron Hubbard's album which won it in the end um, can only be a good thing there is an argument to say that um, it's kind of corporate funding of, of music and there are even more people like yourself out there that you know I mean do you, do you look upon this and say I hope that one day I could kind of be involved in something like this or you think well it's I don't know what I'm yeah, it's probably a good thing to to aim for mm-hmm. and get recognition because, like a lot of these bands, I mean, what would their ultimate goal be? Because they're not the style of music they're doing is not going to sell thousands of records necessarily. So, some something like this that's more highlighting producing good work than necessarily selling lots of albums. That's definitely a good thing. But I can also see the other point of competition in music don't really mix too well yeah. especially with these sort of bands um, they're not necessarily trying to one up each other I just wonder if it, the longer it goes on then perhaps a I don't know if these things last well uh, the Brit Awards at the beginning was quite an interesting thing and I think you know if you've got your on the, the Brit Awards list then there could be people I'm thinking of Ronnie size back in the day who, yeah. who, you know that nobody would have listened to that actually went on and now it seems that it was like it, a period in the mid 90s when it seemed like Beck won Best International Male like every single yeah. year you know from like 95 uh, Kate, Kate Bush was always um, you know nominated as Best Female not having released anything for yeah. about 8 years I love Kate Bush but mm. um, that sounded very Alan Partridge there <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's, I, I just hope that, that you know it doesn't become the same bands every time, and that you know they really do um, a look at it side. I think oh, hopefully they will. Hopefully that the people involved uh, are um, savvy enough to to go looking for different people every time. Um, not just for music, but for for a. Books and um, I suppose for I mean, books in, in particular, it seems that awards have become increasingly important. And again, I suppose the worry is that you have agents who are pushing various people to get onto the lists. I don't know if that's happened with the Scottish Album of the Year awards yet, but that's I suppose a worry that you can see that you know to the detriment of maybe other people that were uh, that, that are being represented or are on a, a different record label that. They'll just focus on one person to get to get on there. I don't know. It's just the, it's just the, I mean, I think it's a good thing as well. But I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate there. Yeah, that's that's interesting because there's there probably is a risk of that right now. It is just very indie, and there's not there's not any game of the system. It's only been two years, but yeah, it's guaranteed to make you sell more albums and get more people listening to you. So that inevitably people might latch onto that. And, and Chris, what do you think about the breadth of music represented on the lists? I think it's better in the long list than it is necessarily in the short list. I yeah, think, I, think um, I think it maybe became a bit... And that was one of the arguments that people had about Calvin's yeah. uh, not being on it, is that, well, it becomes very samey. Yeah. It doesn't really bother me, but that's because I nearly like nearly yeah. all the music yeah. that's on it. Um, but even sticking to something like, like, is it like you know, Pause on, mm. on there, you know, yeah. where it's a bit more kind of... You know, thrashy, not thrashy, that's the wrong word, but a bit more kind of, you know. It's rock and roll, yeah, it's f- full on. Yeah. Um, or, or Meow Meow or something where, mm. you know, it's all this kind of sparkly dance pop or whatever. Because um, a lot of it, although I, I think it's kind of, it's a smartly put together shortlist because I think it's smart for this award to accentuate stuff that could, music that could only be made in Scotland or 
that Scotland does better than anyone else. So the way that, like, say, you know, a band like Teenage Fan Club, say, who don't really do anything new but are the best at it. Yeah. You know, like, if you ask anyone in the world, name, like, a great power pop band, they could go to Teenage Fan Club. So I think if you're putting together a short list like that, you have to either go for a band who would be the equal of, uh, at that kind of music of anyone else in the world, or you have to do something that is firmly rooted in Scotland. So either is like him develops out of Scottish folk or takes like, you know, elements that they passed down through the history of Scottish music and goes new places with them. You can't just, uh, I, I think this is something that kind of struck me as I was listening back to the short list and reading reviews and stuff. I think there's a great kind of tendency amongst maybe just British music journalists more widely, but particularly Scottish journalists of praising something as like innovative when it's just because they haven't heard a Scottish band do that before. Yeah. I'm thinking stuff like, like I love the Phantom Band, but mm-hmm. I don't think that if you took them in a wider international context that what they were doing would sound particularly new. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like bands have been using crowd rock influences for ages. Yeah, it's just yeah. like a case that like it hasn't necessarily been a thing in Scottish indie. I think it's maybe the same with Django Django this year. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's fine, but the way it was talked about in some of the press, you know, it was these breathless terms if it was doing something completely new and it's, it's not really doing anything that like a lot of other kind of experimental indie pop bands aren't doing. It's not doing anything like Dirty Projectors aren't doing. It's yeah. not doing anything, you know, Tuneyards aren't doing. And Although it was, it, I mean, it was well thought of outside of Scotland as was, well. It right? was, yeah, but uh, I, I think that's what, that's what I'm saying. It needs to be able to match the best of, of that kind of, of whatever genre it's in or it needs to be Leo, as, as a lot of the rest of the shortlist is kind of rooted in folk so yeah. like like Admiral Fallow like Kareem Power like Lau um, uh, like Mirso mm-hmm. uh, and you know kind of trying to, to push it forward a little bit and do something new that, like I say if you want to talk about innovation then the Lau album is probably the best one to talk about on the shortlist because it is taking it's, it's taking an element of music you know like Scottish music particularly mm-hmm. and then doing something that other people haven't necessarily done with because it. Because the, 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 the history of it is Scottish, intrinsically yeah. Scottish, rather than yeah. trying to take something which is a more global uh, style of music. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, actually, looking through, I think sometimes it's easy to be judgmental straight away. I'm looking at the shortlist and actually taking individually, they're all maybe coming from an independent background, you know, with a couple of exceptions. But there are very, very different albums. You know, as you say, Merso and Admiral Fallow and Clean Paul are all from a folk background, but they're very different. They are, yeah. Well, they're different, put it that way, before I get too overblown about it. Um, what would you think about the, the breadth of music that's uh, represented? Yes, I think you just made a very good point that it is sort of highlighting the uniqueness of Scottish music, not necessarily what would work well in a global audience or sell lots of records but just what we do very well and I'm not sure if there's another award where a flamenco guitarist could become the winner that's true so it's, it's really good I think that was a fantastic that. winner and it's a fantastic album it really is and it's very much it's not just um, Aaron Hubbard's it's a it's collaboration I mean you know, it's, it's a great album and I wonder if this was part of the reason it won it shows off a huge range of Scottish talent on it yeah, I don't think yeah. you're going to find many people who dispute the picking of, of R.M. Hubbard as, as a winner of this mm-hmm. award. I mean, like, I think he's he's so well thought of, you yeah. know, not just, like, 
in terms of like his album, but as like a live performer within the kind of Glasgow music scene, he's been a fixture for like a few years. Although this is only his second kind of solo album, yeah. he's been in various bands over the years, and he's been very kind of highly thought of. And it's, I think everybody's just kind of glad to see him, kind of finally yeah. getting recognition, having his moment. Uh, it was really strange though, because I think it was very unexpected. But at the same time, everyone just went, "Oh yeah, that that makes sense." Yeah, I should say Jack was uh, managed to uh, find his way into the awards. Yeah, I saw a gate crash. What were they like then? Were they? It was a good night. Yeah, it was really well put together and uh, sort of smart dress code in the Barrowlands and yeah, it's a bit uh, tomorrow, but there you go. Yeah, and open bar and nice tables about and ah, uh, open bar and suddenly yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, no, it was, it was very very good. Uh, well put together uh, thing it's good that they're sort of putting money behind this ceremony and just seeing everyone in like the Scottish music industry come out for one night and everyone's I think there is a tension that Chris kind of alluded to um, and it's something that happens without what everyone whenever we talk about anything and put it in a Scottish context I think well it has to kind of to be looked upon as being a success does it need to be a success elsewhere I'm not sure I mean, if you're looking at it in that context, like the Scottish Album of the Year Awards is looking at it in a Scottish context. So if no one hears the Human Don't Be Angry album, you know, outside of Scotland, then, you know, is that a problem in this context? I'm not sure. It, it's not so much a case of whether anybody hears it, I think. It's whether... It's the reception of it. It's when they do hear it, that does it sound like, can it stand with everything else that they hear, I think, is, is the point, rather than whether they actually do hear it. You know, it's like, we can't just judge things by our own internal standards you know no, we kind of no. have to hold the albums to stand I mean especially now that like where while, while there is like local music scenes are still so important and so kind of vital especially in Glasgow um, now that you're in an age where like the equivalent music scenes from literally anywhere in the world is a couple of clicks away yeah. you know and you can hear everything from all over the place and there's, there's even fewer boundaries on what you can hear and when you can hear it than there ever has been yeah. before that you're putting out a quality of music and you're drawing attention to a quality of music that can stand with the best of anything else anywhere in the world, yeah. you know? Uh, and huh. it can't just be like, oh, well, uh, we've never had a band like this locally before. If that if a band like that has happened locally elsewhere, mm-hmm. then we have to make sure that the, the local band is matching their standards, you know? Uh, and we can't just be like, oh, well, here, here's points for trying, you know? No, I think here. that's right. I, do, I, I think that's, that's true. I don't think... That's what this list well, no, does. Absolutely not. I think that was what's interesting um, is I wonder if you're, you're right. There's there's more uh, ways of finding the widest possible music, and that might actually have a reverse effect. That people might end up there's so much it's overwhelming of trying to find new stuff that's coming at you that they might start to go local and say, well, there's I'm hoping maybe this is a dream, but you know, there's a a band playing locally. I know that, um, you know, many of these bands will be playing smallish venues in a place near me quite soon. I can go and see them. It might have the opposite effect. I don't know. Uh, it would be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see what difference being on the long list or short list for the Scottish Album of the Year award makes in terms of sales and, and you know, whether, again, this is people, and I worry about this all the time, that it's people that already know this music talking to each other about it and actually Emily Sandy continues to sell, you know, 50 whatever million records. Yeah. Um, I hope not. I hope there's been quite a good public 
uh, awareness of it, I think, and uh, hopefully it'll stretch out a bit further. But in the whole, a good thing, I think. Yeah, it's well, you're saying as well about it maybe getting, you know, a few of these awards kind of starting out interesting, maybe blanding out, but it is for now the kind of the whole Alistair Gray work as if you live in the early days of a better nation thing. It's kind of the same kind of like that maybe the Mercury used to have attached to it and is maybe yeah. kind of lost. The Mercury, lost that was the one I was trying to think yeah. of when I said the books. Um, I mean, even 10 years ago when you had, you know, I, I suppose PJ Harvey's a bad example because she won again a couple of years ago, but, you know, it, it, was, it felt like there was more kind of interesting, more wide variety of stuff that was getting punted. Um, Thank you. As opposed to the past couple of years where it's become, well, the past few years where it feels like it's become quite raw. You can almost predict what's going to get on it. And it makes, I think that's to do with record labels thinking, yeah. well, here's a band that will maybe fit. They're a little bit edgy, yeah. but as soon as they start talking about yeah. that, you know, if yeah. you're ever reading The same them. way that like, you get like Oscar films in November and December yeah. and stuff, the tempo uh, biopics and stuff. You know, it's, it's a similar kind of thing. There. It feels like there's, there's, there's a formula for, for Mercury bands now. Um, and it, it's I suppose it's, it's kind of instructive in a way that only one band from the, the Scottish album that you're shortlist made it onto the Mercury shortlist and that was Django Django but then that's because there only was one Scottish band on the, the Mercury shortlist mm-hmm. which even though it's meant to be a British prize feels like you have the token Scottish nominee you have the token like, like they made a big deal of it was it nearly 10 years ago now because there were three Scottish nominees on the list it was like this is the year of the Scots it's like right a full quarter here come the Scots a full quarter of them are Scottish and one of those bands is Snow Patrol who are yeah. Irish yeah. <laughs> just met in Scotland you know uh, so yeah it feels like it's necessary because again it's the whole kind of it's the question of representation in a kind of wider British sense as well you know it's like if, if it's meant to be a British award then why is there one Scottish nominee? Yeah, you know? but then again, do you have some kind of, uh, um, you know, percentage? Do oh, yeah, you, 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 know, you don't want to I go mean, with that, but it's just the sense that, like, at least, you know... Positive discrimination. Yeah, yeah. no, not even that, you know, just, like, pay attention to the stuff that's mm. happening up here, you know? Don't just... I think that's where this this is, it, it, this award is, is such a good thing because I think many people won't know that there is such a breadth of quality music on the door because I'll, unless there's an award like this, unless somebody does something elsewhere, it doesn't get even in the Scottish newspapers and on radio very rarely. Um, yes, there's lots of stuff online that'll be supporting them, but actually most people still get their musical knowledge from kind of conventional media. And this has um, been... Uh, big success I hope and it'll be interesting to see in maybe 10 years time one if it's still going and two if an album such as 13 Lost and Found by R.M. Hubbard uh, is anywhere near it I'm not saying it won't be I think it'll just be interesting so um, we're going to finish up with um, the five questions that we always ask our uh, invited guest um, so Jack it's five favourites basically four mm-hmm. favourites in a one curveball What's your favourite album? Oh, wow. I know, they're pretty uh, tough. Uh, it probably changes week to week. Yeah. Uh, the one that spring to mind is, uh, that I always keep coming back to is Ellie Smith, Either Or. Oh, I great. I can always come back to that, and that's, that's got a lot of influences on it, so I'll probably say that. Okay. Um, well, this might fall off from that, I don't know. Favourite musician stroke band? Just have to pick one. No, no, you can chat okay. for as long as we like. We've got no, uh, no time on. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Again, this this changes a lot, but Dame Gerardo was, uh, well, Dame Gerardo never changes for me because that was a big reason why I've, I've gone to 
music and releasing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's absolutely brilliant, and he does. Um, he's got lots of records out now. Yeah, I can't listen to him for ages, but yeah. Oh, he's great, and he's just he's in a groove right now where he's recording with Richard Swift, and we've got a wee studio set up, and they're, they're just putting an album out every year. Uh, so he, he's a massive influence. Okay. And just name some more people. Uh, <laughs> Ellis Smith, as I said, uh, Sharon Van Etten, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, like Jay Tillman. Um, yeah, I can see the influences absolutely as you're yeah, them off, yeah. Decemberists, bands like that. Excellent. That's pretty much my record collection as well. Mm. Um, well, moving away from music then, favourite film? Yeah, you're a film fan. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely am. Um, I didn't used to be when I was younger. I was pretty uncultured and didn't see a lot. And then I just got really annoyed when people kept saying, oh, have you seen this film? <laughs> and they were just naming all these classic films I hadn't seen. Or people were pointing out, like, actors from films. Oh, that was the guy from that. And I was like, how do you even know yeah, the names? Okay. You would like a conversation between us then. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but that, that was a few years ago. And I've been trying to catch up ever since. Yeah. Um, I like Woody Allen a lot. Uh, oh, like, my yeah, hero in the world. Yeah, little poster there on <laughs> your print. Um, so I like Annie Hall, Manhattan. Uh, I love Midnight in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I just like quite a lot of films like Good Will Hunting, mm-hmm. uh, A Beautiful Mind, American Beauty. Those are some of the ones that I, I watch multiple times. I like the idea of coming to film later because you can kind of be... Um, it's a bit like when people maybe start to like music a bit later on they can avoid mistakes yeah, <laughs> you that's, kind of that's go, a good I've thing. heard that's crap I've heard that's crap yeah. whereas you know oh, I went to see this and it was really terrible because yeah, so they are all quality films and uh, yeah I can just go through like the top top 100 films of the 90s yeah. and go through decades and try and listen yeah, to uh, try and watch but the other difficult thing is there's just so much coming out all the time so yeah. I'm trying to catch up and then keep up to date with the new films that were that are coming out, it's difficult. Um, I, and fourth is a favourite book. I don't know if you know. Mm. Um, Either novel or non fiction or. Uh, I think I've read recently. Well, probably my favourite book of all time was Cash on the Rye. So I'm yeah. um, I really like John Steinbeck. Yeah. A lot of him. So it's American, uh, Americana, if you like, American culture, quite an important thing. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but that always just interests me, because I, I do like some Scottish culture, like Scottish bands and mm. Scottish writers and things, um, but there's just something about, that I really identified with, just reading Steinbeck and things. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I think there is something very attractive about that whole, uh, I don't know whether it's a kind of scale, a yeah. wide... I'm not um, sure if it's like escapism or something, yeah. just because it's something very different that you can, uh, you can sort of immerse yourself in and uh, go down a different path. I'm not sure. Um, and then finally, and we'll let you go. <laughs> uh, the kind of event or the you know whether it's a gig, whether it's an album or whatever that made you think, yeah, that's what I want to do. Mm. That's difficult. Like. Going back to the sort of film answer where I was saying I was, used to be quite uncultured. Mm. I used to be quite uncultured in terms of gigs. Mm-hmm. Like I go and see, like I probably seen, probably seen Neil Young around this time, or uh, when I was uncultured. But I would just be like seeing big bands, like oh the Foo Fighters are coming. Um, 
but I remember the first gig I seen and it was a small gig and that that to me was just like a new world this this is just this underground of stuff that's happened all the time yeah and people are really into that that was surprising for me and so that was actually talking about Great Lakes Swimmers yeah uh, it was when they played and they had three support acts and one was Joe Mango yeah you mentioned uh, another girl opened I think her name was Anna Meldrum yeah. she used to play in Kitty in the, Kitty the Line yeah uh, and Shan Van Etten was supporting Great Lakes Swimmer that time now wow. she's huge yeah 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 and then Great Lakes Swimmer came on so it was just I'm pretty sure that was the first small gig I'd seen and it was just and the audience was you hear a pin drop gets people that are there on the whole to see those bands that's the thing it's not like a yeah. big it's not like people pressing down your quiff because they can't see onto the <laughs> stage yeah four amazing acts and that that was the time where I was like oh okay there's a whole world here mm -hmm. that I can maybe try and push myself into I think there is a great support and again going back to the Scottish Album of the Year Awards the support that came nearly from everyone who was involved one when, when Hubby won there was this fantastic as you say support for them but also between each other I think you know there, there is a great support network um, for musicians in, uh, in Scotland as a whole it seemed to me for coming well, slightly from they the had outside a, they had Aidan Moffat on, on TV I think he was interviewed on Scotland tonight and the short, short list came out they had a few people in it a couple of people involved with the panel they had Aidan Moffat on because obviously he won last year and they were asking them to, to pick you know their favourite from the short list who they thought might win and Aidan Moffat was like, I think I might have to recuse myself because I'm on two of the albums on the shortlist. You know? <laughs> he's on, I think he's on the ARM Hubbard album, obviously. He's also on the Human Don't Be Angry one. It is, it's just this, you, I mean, I feel like you could have picked any musician in Scotland, more or less, you know, at, at that level. Yeah. And they'd have had a similarly hard time picking one because there is this kind of intermingling, you know, if they're not on the albums themselves, they've played live with the bands, they've kind of, they've, there, there is, as you say, this kind of support network that all these bands are kind of interlinked and have played with each other and have come up together. And that is one of the good things about a small music scene, if you want to say that, is that, I mean, it happened with, you know, when uh, Teenage Fan Club would often play, you know, being uh, expanded would turn up and they would all play with you. And that support network is, is definitely a, 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 itself kind of promotes each other and... And I think welcomes other people into it as well. I don't think, I don't know, but it seems to me that it's that way. And I think that's a good place to finish. So Jack, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. And Chris, thank you for coming along Cheers. again. And as I say, I highly recommend the album is uh, That The Rain On. You should go and check it out. And we'll be with you next time with someone completely different. Cheers. Uh, this song's called Live This Down. Under the rain
to love the stand Trying to leave this town